0: Well, the holiday season is upon us, friends, and uh, we finish Thanksgiving and turn the corner into Christmas, that uh, marvelous time when we celebrate the birth of the Savior. And uh, I just want to say there is no bigger, more bold, more bodacious of an act ever in history to date than the coming of the second person of the Trinity. This is the time of year when uh, we just become, or we should become enthralled with God's big, bold, bodacious work made available to us. But uh, one of the things that can happen is in our remembering, is in our celebrating, that frankly we lose sight of our giving Of a proper response. It can so often be on what God did and we lose sight of what we're supposed to do in light of that and what was made available to us. And I might kind of correlate it to an experience that my family had a couple years ago. We were down at the Yuletide celebration down at Hilbert Theater and the night that we were there, the woman that was emceeing it was Uh, just had an operatic voice and she was just this, this larger than life booming, marvelous kind of presence about her and about halfway through she started to sing the best Christmas song ever Oh Holy Night and I do mean that and I hold the right to that but listen, it was a moment like this this was not the event, but Rene Fleming singing with the German Philharmonic. Just listen for a little bit. This was taking place that night.
1: Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear sea. and
0: of the words and that, oh, hear the angel voices. Behold your King, Christ the Lord. Oh, holy night. Oh, night divine. Fall on your knees. And then after she sings with this voice people are clapping. And if you will, I could kind of read if you just the sense of the moment, because it's like so many people are like, oh, what a voice. Maybe not my thing all the time, but what a voice. Others looking around, it's oh the symphony. Oh, they're just so beautiful in the music. And, and this building, look at this building. Is this incredible? And then after she's singing and people are clapping, and they go right into Santa coming down the chimney. And I sit there. I go, listen, two responses either need to come out of this. One is we either all need to, like, stand up and stone her for singing heresy because of what she's saying. Or how about this? How about, like, we all fall on our knees before the king of the universe that has come to redeem us from our sin? Now, that would be big and bold and bodacious. but Santa came down the chimney. Listen, God's big, boldacious act of sending Jesus Christ demands nothing less than a big, bold, bodacious response by his children. And so for these next six Sundays, we're going to be talking about, and I'm going to be leading you through and trying to help us to think about being responders this Christmas and not just rememberers of Christmas. And by the way, not just for this season, but coming off of the series that we just had full throttle going through Titus and growing and accelerating and picking up momentum as a church and like, let's just see God big kind of a thing and what he might have if we were faithful. But let's have this kind of stuff become culture here. I just want to let you know, family, this is more about what it is. I'm, in essence, using Christmas to hit at six things that I would love to see us full throttle out and becoming more and more of our culture, that we would be a place, as we're going to talk about today, that would be big and bold and bodacious with our gratitude. That we would be the kind of church we're going to talk about next Sunday. Please be here as we talk about big, bold, bodacious vision. And then the Sunday after that about having a culture of giving and then a culture of hope and big, bold, bodacious relationships and starting out the year with prayer. So today on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we're going to go to big, bold, bodacious gratitude. And you may be like, I'm so tired of saying thank you. Um, We're going to get some scripture to help us rethink that. Okay? And I pray that we leave today going, You, God, are kidding me. What am I going to do about this? Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for your goodness. I pray this morning that this would be a strong morning for your glory, that your presence would be here as we know it is, and I mean in a very big, bold, bodacious way, that we would be great learners of you, excited about your word. God, we're here. Have at us. Here we go. In your name we pray. Amen. Grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 17, and we're going to take a look at Three stories in the Gospel of Luke, true events that took place in the Gospel of Luke, uh, taking a look at three of them, and we're going to see how there's gratitude missed, but especially we're going to see how there is gratitude that is given that is like over the top at points let's go to luke chapter 17 and the picture that you see here is not the area where it was exactly this event was taking place but this just kind of gives you from our trip there a couple of weeks ago kind of gives you some scenic reality on what we're about to read here just kind of picture it if you will in your mind luke chapter 17 if you don't have a bible i think we had some people coming around i'd love to have you borrow one let's pick up in verse 11 here we go On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus Christ, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, Samaria and Galilee, this is kind of, in other words, he's coming from the northern part of Israel and he's trekking his way down to Jerusalem, which is more in the southern part. This is kind of what that territory looks like. Now, the Samarians hated the Galileans or the Israelites and the Israelites hated the Samarians. The Samarians saw the Israelites, the Galileans, as the uppity people, the people who always went around going, we are God's people, nah, 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 kind of an attitude. And it was probably quite true in many ways. And yet the, uh, the Galileans looked at the Sumerians as the low people on the, podium to- on the totem pole. I mean, these are the dogs of the society going on here. By the way, do not lose sight in these texts of the low people. It's going to flow through all three of these stories. It's the low people It's the little people. It's the least likely people. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus Christ and his entourage was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Verse 12. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers. How many? Okay, 10 of them, and these 10 lepers, now lepers, we usually, if if you've ever watched old movies, we kind of have more of the picture of leprosy as just the thing where people are walking around and like limbs are trailing as they're walking kind of a thing, and that's true, I mean there were, it got to the point, but leprosy at the point of time actually had multiple skin-oriented issues. What kind of leprosy to what extent? We don't know. We just know this. These people had skin diseases. And as a result of that, the priests, the the religious leaders uh, viewed them as unclean, which completely understand medically wise, they were. I mean, this was like H1N1 to to the hilt. And so they're literally cast away. They're set out of the mainstream of society. And there's how many of them? And and what was their problem? They They had leprosy. And they stood at a distance. That's why. It's just so cool how the text brings little things in. Samaria, and they stood at a distance, verse 13, and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, this statement is really pretty cool because there's three things in this statement that's made. All ten lepers, I don't know, what did they do in harmony or all together, same point, but they were saying this. The three things out of this. Number one, they call him Jesus. They knew his name. How did they know his name? Don't know. Was it as he was coming and people were talking, oh, Jesus is coming and they heard about this? Had it been that there's been so much going on in the area that they knew who Jesus was and all the talk about him? Likely that was it but they knew his name. Secondly, they gave him a title. They gave him authority. Jesus, master. Now, if we see someone coming along, who especially someone who has some authority, we oftentimes tag on a, a, an authority title to them. If they don't, it's just like, hey, dude, hey, bud, how you doing, my friend? But here it says, Jesus, master. Okay, we're getting inside the 10 lepers' heads. This isn't just a, hey, Bon Jovi, uh, you know, can you help me? Yeah, I'll sing you a song. Uh, no, this is, hey, master, this is someone up there. And what does he ask of them? Or what do they ask of him? Have mercy on us. Listen, uh, very we, as we read this text, we clearly get the idea. What they're saying, in essence, it's like, we're cast. We're outcast. We have our skin, our bodies falling apart. Hey, have mercy on us. Take care of our physical problem. I think clearly that's what's being stated here. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Verse 14, when he, Christ, saw them, he said to them, I wonder how far he was away when they said it, if it was just like immediate, or whether he walked over, I don't know, but he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. Now, uh, this is an important statement because this would have been the process for someone who had had leprosy or some kind of skin disease that, be, that be, was resolved. They would have to go back to the priest and if you will get the stamp of approval to go back into the mainland, main uh, stream of society. And so what he's saying is go, show yourselves to the priest. Oh, look at this. This is, next verb is huge here. And as they went... They were cleansed. Okay, get it? Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Go show yourself to the priests. This is a moment right here. Because at this moment, as we read the text of the verb, it's not saying that they would, when Jesus said that, they're like, oh, I'm healed. In fact, I mean, it's me. I'm looking at myself, and it's like, nothing's happening. I'm not going nowhere. By the way, it doesn't make any logical sense to go to the priest because the only time they would go to the priest was when they were healed. And they weren't right at that moment. And at that moment, they're looking, and they have a decision to make. Let's call it this. They have a faith decision to make right there. Am I going to go to the priest and believe what he said? Somehow it's going to happen? Or am I just going to say, like, forget you, dude. This didn't work at all. I may have actually been in that camp myself. As they went, they were cleansed. They went. Obviously, they had high enough regard for what he said that they would make action. Now, was it after one step of wenting or 20 steps of wenting that they were all of a sudden healed? We don't quite know, but let's keep on reading. Verse 15, then one of them, how many? One of them, when he saw that he was healed. So in the wenting, in the going, he's going and all of a sudden, pff, it's like, whoa, I saw that I am healed. And so what's he do? He turned back, praising God. By the way, with what kind of voice? A loud voice. Here he's going, he's on his way. All of a sudden, boom, he sees this. Like, <laughs> and he's like, well, now what do I do? I can keep on going to the priest, get, get cleansed, could be allowed back into the mainstream, or I can, like, do something different. He want how many? One, comes back to Christ and praising God with a loud voice. Love it. Over the top. Listen, people were all over the place. And he's not like, oh, this is awesome. Wow,
1: I love this. Oh, yeah. I
0: mean, this, this is like, yeah, Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, thank you. All the way back to Christ with a loud voice over the top. And I think I would probably be too at that point. Look, but it doesn't stop there in verse 16. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Didn't come back and high five, bear hug, you know, do the dance, do whatever. He comes back and he fall praising God, falling his face to the dirt at his feet. Feet, the image of that tells so much about what is going on in the one leper's head, right? Because he's praising God, and he knows that this person was the direct source of what was taking place through this event. I love the last statement. fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. You know, the text didn't have to put that in there. But it did. For a reason. Because he was a dog. He was a low life of anybody. Anybody as compared to everybody over here that is around Christ observing this. The low man on the totem pole, face down in the dirt, worshiping God. Verse 17, Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine. Hey, friends, The fact of the nine continuing on, and frankly, they did just what he said, and so I don't want to take it too far beyond, but he's doing; they did what they said, but only one came back and attributed it to the incarnate second person of the Trinity. The other nine experienced the general grace of God and just kept on going. Why? Don't quite know, but I do know this. It bugged Jesus. Listen, ingratitude, lack of gratitude in this situation for all that had been done for the person, the lack of directed, given, uh, associated gratitude miffed Christ. He took notice. I bet the others were happy, I bet they were jumping. But we're not ten cleansed, where are the nine? Verse 18, was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Don't have time, man, this whole thing could just take our whole morning. I just will make this one comment. His faith, if you will, he he was not a work of faith that saved him. His faith put him in a place where God saved him. He placed his faith in Christ. And in this moment, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Wait a second. He's already been healed. Is he referring to the fact of, hey, listen, it was the act of your faith that's made you physically well? Or is this actually a statement where Christ is saying, listen, dude, your soul has now been made well because of your faith? I think it's the latter. This guy was overwhelmed. He had a mission he had to do. And he saw not only the general grace of God dispensed upon the ten, but he wanted to make sure and he knew and attributed it to Jesus Christ. Let's go to our next passage. Luke chapter 21, a little bit to the right. Luke 21. (laughs) This one is so cool. The widow's offering. Uh, by the way, this picture is from when we went. I'm kind of incorporating a travel log while we're doing these. Uh, this is actually where it is believed, that right where you see this, that the actual temple used to stand. By the way, I don't have time to get into it. Not over there, and if any of you know about the Temple Mount today, another day, but actually right there. Another day I'll talk to you about how that can be proved out. Um, But think about this. Jesus is now on the temple grounds, literally somewhere right around here. This event takes place with this widow. Broad context. Jesus has been going south. He's continued on down. He's passed through Jericho in chapter 19 where Zacchaeus, you know, the wee little man in the tree. Then Jerusalem, uh, the triumphal entry take place. There's a raucous in the temple. The chief priests and the elders and the Sadducees and the scribes are trying to verbally sucker punch Christ at this point. And now we're in the temple area. Let me pick up after actually the end of chapter 20, verse 45. And in the hearing of all the people, he, Jesus said to his disciples, who is Jesus speaking to? His disciples. This is a huddle. Okay, hey guys, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses. Don't forget that statement in this story. They devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. Got it? He's in a huddle. He's just told them this. They're on the temple area somewhere in here to the left. Is that building over there on the left? didn't used to be there and it's off but somewhere around here he's having this huddle and then kind of like peyton manning on a sunday while they're in a few times that they get in a huddle he kind of takes a look out and takes a look around and he's just checking to see what's going on that's what's happened here chapter 21 verse 1 jesus looked up out of the huddle and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the gifts into the offering box you can just hear the money ching ching boom 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 just piles of it garbage bags full and then he sees a poor widow. What kind of a widow? A poor widow. And she puts in two small copper coins. Now, these two copper coins, one of these copper coins would be one hundredth of a day's wages. So two copper coins is how much of a day's wages? Two one hundredths. Reduce it. See, high schoolers, junior highers, others, math is so useful. Okay? Okay, it's about 1 50th of a day's wages. Now, if you were to take that, and let's just say a person makes $15 an hour. So if you were to say $15 an hour, take that out for eight hours, divide it by 1 50th, you'd come right around $2.50, okay? So this lady's putting in $2.50. Whoa, that's gonna tip that bag over. I know when Andy was bringing the bag up here, put that two fifty in and kaboom, his hand would just hit the floor with that. Listen, it's just two bucks, What's behind her giving the two coins? You know what? We have no idea. The text doesn't tell us. Something was going on behind her giving these two coins. I don't know what it was. Was this the kind of thing where something had happened and she was praising the Lord and this was kind of a way for her to show her praise? Don't know. Was this the kind of thing where life was so bad as a poor widow? And in that day, a poor, and especially a widow in that day was rough. Was this a prayer? Stay again before the Lord. Oh, Lord, please hear. I'm giving you everything. I don't know. Don't know. But we know this. She's given 250, and everybody else is putting in their hundreds and thinking they're so hot and sexy. And here's this poor widow over there giving everything she had. And Jesus picks up on it. And he said in his huddle to the guys, Hey, guys. Truly, I tell you, you see this poor widow? She's put in more than all of them. Not more than one of them, more than all of them. By the way, we don't have a mini sermon here as this. Listen, God is not so concerned about the portion. You cannot buy God's favor. But God is concerned about the proportion. That's the issue. Another sermon, another day. This poor widow was put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had. How much did she put in? All she had to live on. Now there's a faith act. Whoa! Oh. So what'd she get out of that deal? I mean she gives everything she has. Obviously she's gotta get something back from God because I mean this is a contract deal of money transferring hands. Man, is that so not an American way to be thinking? And yet, let's be honest, we're all thinking it. I wonder what God, you know what doesn't tell us. By the way, that was a God and widow thing. But maybe, maybe God blessed her. And maybe God, or I should say, maybe God's one and only blessing out of this is on an eternal perspective is was that Jesus Christ used her moment to teach the disciples, the apostles. Maybe this was a moment, by the way, that she was blessed in the fact that she was held forever in the chronicles of biblical truth. Was that a goodbye? Absolutely it was. The rest of the story we don't know, but we do know this. Whatever was going on there, this was a gal who saw something with Yahweh worth being over the top, big, bold, and bodacious in coming before the Lord. Whether it was a plea or whatever it was, it was all on the table for her. One more story. Let's go to the left, Luke chapter 7. So we're kind of rewinding some history here. We've just left the story of the scribes strutting their stuff before the people and the widow strutting her stuff, all of it before the Lord. And we jump back, so we rewind time. However the tape sound rewind is chapter 7 verse 36 and i wanted to finish with this story cuz this is beautiful absolutely over the top beautiful luke chapter 7 verse 36 one of the pharisees Ask him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Now, the picture I have here actually, this isn't the guy's house. This is way bigger. Actually, just so you know, this is a picture of the inside of the synagogue at Capernaum. But I just kind of wanted to give you something to to visually image an event happening. Houses were not this big back then. But a Pharisee was a religious leader. And in that day, the Pharisees were not only religious leaders, but really they were political governing leaders of the day. And uh, this guy was most likely very wealthy because of his position. So we're just kind of setting ourselves in a in a room and so he asked christ to come inside and there's this kind of party that's taking place and uh someone uh, besides the couple in washington dc is about to crash this party verse 30 wasn't that kind of cool <laughs> verse 30 that's so american it's just something anyway I, that was not in my notes verse 37 and behold look at this statement a woman of this city who was a sinner hmm I wonder what her career was. Hmm. Uh, I doubt an engineer. Hey, listen. This woman was a prostitute. This woman was a whore. That's the reality of the situation. And you cannot get the full grasp of this moment without understanding who this woman is. Why was she that? I don't know. Was she all on her own? And so this was her only way of in her view of being able to make money. I have no idea. But this woman is a prostitute... Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was, Christ was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, you've got to understand a couple cultural things here. Number one, whenever there were big events like this that were going on, be, the Pharisees would invite the other Pharisees and big dog leaders of the day. This is kind of like the state dinner, if you will. And so all the big dogs are there. And so the commoners, us, we would be on the outside. Now, in that day, everything they didn't have you know, guards and all this kind of stuff like we do today in the red carpet and, you know, things marking off, you can't go here. This was the type of situation to where uh, in that day, everything's in the open air, okay? And so all us normal people are doing the looky-loo thing and the red carpet to what's taking place here. Now, we have to understand in the culture of the day that a rabbi, a teacher, by the way, was Christ ever called a rabbi? Yes, he was. He was called a rabbi. He was a teacher. A rabbi was never to eat with a woman in public. By the way, a rabbi was never to have a conversation with a woman in public in the kind of way we're about to see. Okay? Listen, and this lady knew it. And she could care less because she had to do something. She had to do something. Well, let's take a look at what this is. So they're at the Pharisee's house, and she brings this alabaster flask of ointment. I'm not going to go into that. It's just this expensive perfume. In verse 38, and standing behind him, Christ, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Now, there's some serious tearing going on there. This prostitute is at his feet, weeping at his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the anointment, with the ointment. (laughs) This was so bold. I mean, this was so risky for her to do this. But she had a mission. She heard that Christ was there. Uh, What was the deal with her? Here's the interesting thing. We don't know with this woman. It could be that actually Matthew 11 records uh, an event shortly before this event where Jesus says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I am gentle. You will find rest in me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Was that it? I I don't quite know. But something took place earlier for her that propelled her to have to do something completely over the top in showing her gratitude to Christ. Would you say that this woman is overwhelmed by what Christ has done for her? And here's the big thing, we don't even know what it was. We're going to find out a little bit more here. She's at his feet and she's completely overwhelmed and worshiping Christ. Verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, in other words, he's thinking in his head, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. The pompous, arrogant Pharisee. She's a scumbag. And if he... Listen, he is so underwhelmed by Christ... Listen, Jesus, you are so not impressing me right now. Because if you had any idea who this woman was, you would not be letting her touch your feet. You would not even be letting her in here. You would not be about to talk to her. You would know who she is. And you would, Jesus, I am so underwhelmed by who you are. You see the contrast? Oh, and do you think Jesus is going to use this as a teaching moment? Um, I bank, yes. Here we go. Verse 40, and Jesus answering said to him, said to Simon, 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 I have something to say to you. (laughs) Love it. And he, Simon, answered, Well, say it, teacher. Uh, Listen, dude, you have no idea what you are doing right at this moment. You know, stop yourself. Say it, teacher. Okay, I will. Verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Let me put this one in a context. Uh, a denarii is a day's wages, so 500. So uh, let's say it's a year and a half, whatever. Uh, a year and a quarter, a year and a third. Let's just say this. The Pharisee is an upper class guy and let's, in the society. So let's just make up a number. He earns about $100,000 a year, okay? Just for idea uh, understanding here of the text. You know, let's say he earns about hundred thousand dollars a year. So that means Jesus is giving this story and saying that, hey, uh, uh, Simon, there's someone who owes uh, this guy about one hundred and thirty thousand dollars, and then there's this guy who owns the same, or then there's this other guy who owns the same banker about ten or twelve thousand dollars. Put it this way: one owes a mortgage, one owes a loan on a used car. Are we all there? Okay, that's the context of what's being said. Now, let's keep reading. And he says to him, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. I just want to say, I want that banker. He canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more, Simon? Hmm. Simon answered, the one I suppose... Man, you are one bright dude. The one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. Ding, 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 winner. And he said to him, you have judged rightly, Simon. Look at this, love it. Then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, you got this? He's turning to the woman, but speaking to Simon as he's turning. Simon, do you see this woman? Listen, not dog, not whore not scum of the earth. Listen, Jesus saw people. Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she has loved much, completely overwhelmed. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Listen, do you remember a couple of weeks ago I talked about how big do you see sin? If sin is like this big, then you really don't need a very big, gracious God. But when sin is this big... You need a big gracious God. It's not about focusing on the sin and being like, "Oh, whoa, 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 whoa," but the reality comes in we don't understand grace if we don't understand the expansiveness of sin. And here she knows sin. Verse 48 and he said to her, "Your sins are forgiven." Oh. Kind of like with the leper, you're healed, you are well. Verse 49, then those who were at table with him. See, this just wasn't about Simon, but it's about people like Simon. Kind of maybe like the nine. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? Completely underwhelmed. Verse 50, and he, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The one got it. The masses didn't. Simon underwhelmed. Simon's guests underwhelmed. The woman overwhelmed. Listen, three stories: the lepers, the, the leper, the widow, and the prostitute. And all displayed this massive gratitude over the top because they saw what Christ had done. So where do we go with this? Because probably uh, uh, one response to this is like, man, I would be responding like that too if God ever did anything like that for me, but I'm not seeing that kind of stuff. Like my bank account, I want that banker because I'm not having that banker my health, my world, my life, everything's falling apart and I don't see God coming in and completely doing all of this kind of stuff for me. Let me bring it. let's help, let me help us as we close up. It's all where you start in your thinking. It's all where you start in your thinking. Let me say this. Us ungrateful people, and I say us because uh, we are generally ungrateful people. Why are we that way? Um, I don't have time to go to all the texts on this, but I want to just toss this out as we wrap up. I think it's because we start in the wrong thinking place, and it's this. We view that life is generally good. The life here on earth should be good. That uh, we're born here, and it's a nice place, and it's beautiful, and, and life should just go well, and, and then when bad things happen, that's out of the norm. And that's then when bad things happen. We go, God, where are you? What's your problem? Because everything general is supposed to be good on earth. Let me say something that is theologically terrible thinking. Let me step back. So, theologically, biblically, how should we be looking? Here's the reality the world has been cursed by sin. Ever since the fall, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? All of the earth, all of everything. Death has come into the place. Listen, as a result of sin having come into our world at Adam and Eve, the fact of the matter is is every day, every moment should be living hell on earth always. And yet our world, we see war and we go, well, like, where's God? Listen to me, listen to me. Here's the fact of the matter. The fact that there is anything good, anything. The fact that we are able to eat, to live, that we're able to even come here, that we're able to survive and live before a big holy God and have a redeemer. The fact that anything is good. The fact that you may love your family or your kids. The fact that you have friends. The fact of anything good in life. Everything is a gift of God. Every, 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 everything. And I'm just sharing with you, I completely miss that over and over again. So let me come back and change this. We look back at these three and we go, my goodness, Christ did something big in their life. Although I would say, what did he really do with the widow? Listen, Christ did something big in their life and we're like, what's he doing for me? That stinking thinking. Anything good, anything, should result in an overwhelming response of gratitude to the Lord. And this week, I just feel like, oh my goodness, I so fall short of being a person of great gratitude. And of anybody that should be having gratitude, it's people like us who know Christ. and I could have brought this today, is let's just be thankful. I just got to tell you, that's just honestly, just frankly at this point, it's just so lame. And it's just so little. True. So where do we leave this? Number one, I just want to say, are you a thankful person? Are you a person where gratitude is a part of your culture in your head? If not, what I just talked about is probably the reason why. Because I'm supposed to be delivered good. No, I'm supposed to be delivered all hell because of sin. And anything that's of any kind of good is a living, present act of a gracious, big God that I don't deserve. So as we leave today, we're going to leave with uh, listening to the rest of this song. Maybe there's something you need to do. Maybe there's been someone or something that's taken place in your life that you need to make a big, bold, bodacious single act of gratitude for a situation. I'm not talking about being all theatrical. I'm just talking about maybe there's something in your life that is like, this has been on my heart and on my mind for a while, and I just want to push you over the edge and do it. And maybe it's the kind of thing where, in just the movement of your life and my life, we're realizing I'm looking at things from the wrong perspective, and I need to repent before God. And I need to start getting at being a living, breathing, active, thankful person. And I don't know what that means. I don't know what that ends up looking like. And maybe how you need a change and how you come to church. Just like, I'll just come and I'll just hang out. No, listen, this is about coming before God. Maybe it's about in your home. I don't know what it is. I'm just, this is one of those days. I'm just going to leave it, leave the stories in your lap and let the spirit of God push you, drive you, and move us. Let's go ahead and uh, start this song. And I don't know what it is that you've got to be working on, but gratitude is the soil bed of our faith. Let's fall on our
1: knees. The stars are brightly sure
0: stand. And let's pray. Lord,